Good evening. It's good to see you again. Hope everybody had a wonderful afternoon. Uh, if you want to get your Bibles out, follow along. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 this evening. Looking forward to our study. Um, let me call. Oh, man. Should have got some more. It's all right. We've been studying through 1 Corinthians 1, uh, and we've been noticing how uh, Paul addresses a serious issue going on in Corinth, and that is the issue of division. Uh, there's a serious problem that's going on there. So first of all, he talked about the things we have in common, and then he went into a discussion about uh, one of the main issues that we have in division is that we like to choose sides, and we like to lift up men. Uh, and that's something that he addressed as we looked at it last time. But today we're going to notice uh, how we have something else that, that we tend to do, a divisive behavior that seems to pop up inside of us that causes us to divide. Uh, and, and really, he's going to get to the heart of that problem. Uh, and it's kind of the problem that we saw a little bit of before, but we're going to see a whole lot of it right now, and we're going to see even more of it later. And that is the problem of pride. Uh, and this is the reason why we divide as we go through this section. We're going to understand that, hopefully, a little bit better. Um, whenever you think about uh, categories, though, let's, let's first of all, let's talk about this. Categories. Consider how, as Americans, we like to divide things into categories. Have you ever noticed that? We like to, to put things in boxes. Uh, we've got um, Alabama fans. We've got Auburn fans. We've got uh, people who like pineapple on their pizza, people who don't. We like people who like coffee. They like it black. They like it with sugar. They like it with creamer. Uh, but there's the coffee drinkers, and then there's the non-coffee drinkers. We have all kinds of different categories of people that we like to create, and sometimes we like to associate ourselves with. Maybe it's hobbies that divide us or something along those lines. Lots of different categories. We just like to divide things up. But notice as we come into the text that discusses uh, division today uh, that there is a, a categories that God divides us up into. Look with me at verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Notice in this text that there are two categories that God gives. Uh, there are two different groups that he points out. First group, he says, are those who are perishing. Uh, that's not a pretty picture. Those who are perishing. Those who are uh, working their way toward complete destruction. Okay? Uh, and notice what he says about them. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. So he brings up this phrase, the word of the cross, and he says it is folly to those who are perishing, and then he has the second category, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Here's the second category, us who are being saved. So essentially there's two groups of people. The group uh, on one side is those who are perishing, and the group on the other side are those who are being saved. And the dividing uh, difference between those two groups is the, the group that's perishing sees the word of the cross as foolishness. And the group that is being saved sees the word of the cross as God's power. And that's the way he divides the two different groups. And notice as he, as he goes on, there's not a third category to this. There's not a group that uh, is is saved because, or is righteous. You know, they don't need saving. But that there's a group that's perishing, 
And then there's a group that is being saved. Whenever you think about being saved, I think about the lifeline on, the, on a boat. Somebody's drowning and they're asking for help and a lifeline is put out. So there's those who are perishing, those who are drowning, and there are those who are receiving the lifeline. And there's not anybody who's in a state of not really worried about anything. I'm, I'm perfectly fine. I don't need saving and I'm not perishing. I'm righteous all by myself. There's not that third category. There's just two categories that God puts people into. Uh, and so Paul starts off this discussion with that statement. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, I've said all this, but you're probably sitting here thinking, what is the word of the cross and why is it folly or why is it the power of God, right? Why is it one to, to one group and one to another group? And why is he bringing up the cross in the way that he is? Well, think for a little bit about the cross. Think about the idea that an innocent man would die on a torture device. Is that not disturbing to you? I mean, it's a disturbing image. It's a disturbing thing to think about. Uh, it's a, a disturbing thing that somebody would come up to us and say, um, there's a guy who decided to submit to waterboarding, and he died from waterboarding, and he did that for you, right? It's like, why would, that doesn't make sense, and that's disturbing. You know, why would somebody do that? So the word of the cross is this, this word of, torture coming upon an innocent man. And some people look at that and they think, wow, that is really foolish. Some people look at that and say, that's the power of God. That's odd. Uh, that's the word of the cross. And that's the, the two divisions that God has shown to us, Paul has shown to us in this text. And, and if we think about the word of the cross and the idea of the cross we, we have to ask, why would God choose this? Why would God choose a cross? It seems kind of odd. I mean, why? Why the cross? Of all the things that he could do to save mankind, why would he choose the cross? Look at verse 19. It says, it is, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Notice he, he says, it's written, you know. Uh, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but it is, uh, it is the power of God to those who are being saved because it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. You see, God chose the wisdom of, in his wisdom, to allow Christ to suffer on the cross in order to destroy man's wisdom. If we try to figure this out, if we try to rationalize and reason and try to understand, like, how could this be? And we're, we're like, oh, this doesn't make sense. Why would anybody do this? Then we might become proud and arrogant in our thinking about the way things ought to be. God should not save in that way. He should save in this way. And by allowing the cross to happen, he essentially has weeded out those who are proud. He has destroyed the wisdom of the wise. 
you're so wise, you're so smart, you, you think you can figure all the things out that should be done and tell God the way that he should do things. Well, God says, I'm going to destroy your wisdom. I'm going to do something uh, that, that you would never think of in a million years. And I'm going to accomplish exactly what I want to accomplish through this one thing that seems to you like complete foolishness. Whenever we think about the cross, we think about Jesus being innocent, blameless, and yet convicted as a blasphemer. And, and the decision being made to not just have him put to death, but to have him tortured. We see that man's wisdom is flawed. You see, that was the best and the brightest of humanity that made that decision. The the leaders of the Jewish people, they had the law at their disposal. They were constantly being fed that. And in all their wisdom, they came up with the idea, this man has blasphemed, let's torture him. That's where man's wisdom got us was murdering an innocent man and torturing him to death. And this is why the cross uh, is making such a bold statement and destroying our wisdom. Because the cross, as you read through the story of Jesus, was man's idea. Men looking and and seeing that Jesus uh, is is being committed as, as guilty of blasphemy cried out, crucify him. That was our idea. Man's wisdom came up with that. And so the cross destroys our wisdom because our wisdom did not get us what we hoped. Uh, Our wisdom is flawed. Our our wisdom is wrong. Uh, it's, It's got a problem. Look at verse 20. He says, who, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. There's so many things in that text as you read through that the, the wisdom of God has decided that the world can't know me through wisdom. The world can't know me through wisdom, so I'm going to allow the world to know me through folly, through their folly. They can't become wise enough to understand who I am, so I'm going to let them see how foolish they really are. I'm going to let them fall flat on their face. And then I'm going to preach to them that they're foolish (laughs) and that they have murdered the Christ. Verse 20. Two, it says, the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than man. Whenever Jesus was on the earth, the Jews were constantly asking him, give us a sign, show us that you are the Messiah. And they're looking for these mosaic signs, you know, make bread come down from heaven, send the plagues on our enemies, and all these kinds of things. And they're constantly asking for more from Jesus, even though he's healed people miraculously and done plenty of, of things to prove that he is the fulfillment 
of the Old Testament. But the Jews, he says, are demanding signs. And he says the Greeks are seeking wisdom. In other words, they want this heroic, wise figure. But Paul did not come telling us that the Christ uh, did all these signs and, and prove that he's the Mosaic figure. He didn't come talking about how wise Christ is. Even though he could have, Jesus did miracles and Jesus was extremely wise. But Paul came preaching that Christ died on a cross. And he expected that message to have power in it, that gospel message. He expected that message to have an impact on the hearts of the people who were there. That they would hear that Jesus is the Christ, he is the, the Savior, the Messiah, who in the Old Testament was prophesied would, would come and suffer and die for all of us. And Isaiah 53 is one of the most notable texts that he could very easily uh, point to and refer to. That, that the cross for the Christ is, is what God had in mind from the beginning. Uh, Christ crucified to them would just sound horrific. And sound awful. Remember the, the picture of waterboarding? Or, you know, like we, we hear that, like somebody would die by waterboarding. That's the way they heard this message. Jesus died in the most excruciating way. The, the nailing to the cross is way more uh, you know, awful than waterboarding. And so many times whenever we hear that idea, Jesus was crucified, and we preach Christ crucified, and, and we talk about the cross, it just sounds like this grand image. You know, we've got crosses all over, you know, that, that, that to us represent hope and, and light and goodness. But to them, it represented criminals suffering justly for their crimes. Maybe, maybe not just, it's, it's a little bit more torturous than maybe we would call just. But we would not have connected it in those days. They would not have connected crucifixion with the hope that we connect it with. And so it would seem completely odd to hear that the Messiah came and he died on a cross. Look at verse 24 again. It says, But for those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. I love that, that last text there. The foolishness of God is wiser than man. The weakness of God is stronger than man. We are, you know, in our best weak, uh, wisdom, at wisest and strongest, nowhere in the league of God. The picture of the foolishness of God. God's not foolish. There's no foolishness in him. But if there was, it would still be way beyond anything that we could ever come up with. And so Paul points out, this whole picture of Jesus dying on a cross in order to bring about this salvation is a demonstration of God's wisdom and our foolishness, of God's strength and our weakness. That we are not strong enough or wise enough to find some way to save ourselves or to make ourselves righteous before God, but that God could work through evil men to bring about our salvation. Well, why is Paul talking about all of this? <laughs> I thought this was going to be about division. Well, this whole, whole line of talking and thinking is really connected to the problem in Corinth. 
They're dividing. They're saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. They're, they have this divisive attitude within them. Uh, and he's pointing out that my message was never uh, uh, an attempt to try to create people who are really proud and arrogant of how much they know. That they would think, I'm smarter than you, I know more than you, I'm more wise than you, I'm stronger than you. But you see how what he's pointing to is he's going through and saying, the message of the cross is God's wisdom, and it shows how foolish we are. He's telling them, your pride is foolish. You're not saved because of how smart you are. If there's anybody here who thinks that they were just smart enough to figure out all the things that the Bible teaches and understand God's word and that, and that they're so wise and that they're so smart that they, they were able to figure it out. No, the cross tells us we were really dumb. We don't understand. And we don't, we don't have that level of wisdom and understanding, but that God chose those who are dumb to, to, to be willing to accept these things, be willing to look into these things. Those who are really smart think that they're smart. And therefore, they don't pay attention to these things. God chose these things for that very reason, to weed out those who are wise and those who are strong, who think that they know everything, and to bring in people who did not feel that way. Look at verse 26. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He says here, consider your calling. You are not the wisest. It's like, wow, that's very flattering, isn't it? You are not the most intelligent and the strongest and the, the, the highest. Not many of you are. Maybe some, maybe a few uh, that are high and high positions believe, but not many. Most of you who believed and who submitted to the truth of God were low and despised and nothing. Really, this is telling us God chose those who were nobodies from nowhere. That's who he chose to save and chose to reveal himself to. Because the nobodies from nowhere are willing to pay attention to the, the foolish message of the cross. So Paul is trying to help us understand who we are. If you came in this building on your high horse thinking that you know so much <laughs> and you're so proud of all that you know about all things, then you need to think about this text. And that's what he's trying to get the Corinthians to do. Think about yourself in all your glory and in all your wisdom and, and thinking that you're so much smarter than everybody else that you can tell everybody else what to do. Think about who you really are if you're a child of God. You are someone who has come to the recognition that I'm a nobody from nowhere who is foolish, just like those who yelled crucify him 
that's worthy of condemnation and destruction, but that believes that God sent a perfect representation of him into the world and that somebody just like me was foolish enough to condemn him, was proud enough to think that I knew better than God about what's really good and what's really righteous. I would have done that. And I have done plenty to rebel against God and do things that are against God's will. And yet I believe that that cross and that man who went up on that cross willingly did so in, in accordance with God's wisdom to provide the ultimate sacrifice for my life to be spared, for me to be saved. There's two categories. There's those who are being saved because of that sacrifice and those who are perishing because they refuse to believe it and they refuse to accept it. So he's, tell, he's telling the Corinthians all of this to help them understand and to avoid division. You have no reason to be proud, Corinthians. You have no reason to be proud. And I have no reason to be proud. <laughs> if we're here and we're seeking to be wiser or stronger than other people, uh, we need to understand that that is a very divisive attitude. And it corrupts us. It takes us away from our roots. We weren't saved because of how smart or how wise or how strong we were. God doesn't choose on that basis. Instead, he allows for those who are low and, and despised and unworthy to find the truth and to be transformed by it. So really, as we, as we study all this, you have to kind of ask yourself this question. Anytime you feel pride welling up inside of you, you have to ask yourself this question. How am I going to take the cross? The cross is so important. I can reject it. I can ignore it. I can forget it. Those are all things that we do. Sometimes people just straight up reject the cross and don't want anything to do with it and don't believe it, think it's foolish. Sometimes people just ignore it and act like it's no big deal and they just move on with their life. Sometimes people understand it and they accept it and then later on in life they forget about it and they develop a sense of pride and arrogance in all that they know and all that they understand. But in the cross, we have to pay close attention to the fact that wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption are offered to us. Not things that we develop or that we deserve or that we are uh, able to attain, but things that are, are blessings that are given to us through the cross. And we ought to be grateful for such a wonderful blessing. I said there's two categories. Which one are you? Are you being saved or are you perishing? Those who are being saved trust in the, the sacrifice of that cross. They make that the focus of their lives. So I was studying this this morning. I was, uh, last, last night I was just looking over it. I was like, man, this would be a good Sunday morning sermon for Easter, right? The cross, yes. But really this is a every Sunday kind of an idea. We need to focus our minds and our hearts on the fact that the cross, as foolish as that seems, is what we're holding on to for salvation. 
in it we find the grace of God being poured out for us to receive. And if you're here and you're not holding on to that cross, but you're holding on to anything else, it's not going to save you. It's going to sink. We need the cross. We need the salvation that God offers us through the cross. Let that be our focus and our heart's desire. And whenever things come up in life and, and we're tempted to think we're so wise and we're so brave and we're so strong, we need to remember the cross that reminds us we're not wise enough or brave enough or strong enough. We need God's help and we need to have humility about what we can accomplish on our own. I hope this helps you as it helps me to think more about the cross and, and the sacrifice that Jesus has given to us. If uh, you are not a child of God, if you've not received his grace, it's available to you. Uh, every day it's available to you. Uh, and if you've not accepted him initially and you've not submitted your life to him and put on Christ in baptism and become a child of God, uh, that opportunity is always available until it's not. And there's a day that comes whenever it's no longer available. But if it's available right now, let's take advantage of it. Let's put on Christ and enjoy all the spiritual blessings that God offers us. Uh, if you're a Christian and you've not lived to serve God faithfully and you're not really focused on God, but instead you're constantly just thinking about how wise and how strong you are and how you are able to accomplish so much and all your wisdom and stuff, we have to overcome those thoughts and those feelings. I know I do often. Uh, and that's our goal is to overcome those thoughts and feelings and stop thinking so much of ourselves and start making much of God. Uh, and letting him be what our life is all about. And I hope that, that we all can do that and glorify him. If anybody here needs to uh, receive prayers or give their life to Christ, will you please come as we stand and as we sing?